Hey, a um, couple things I want to go over as we have finished um, our letter, study through First John, and uh, I just want to encourage you because, you know, as we read through the Bible, you know, many times as we're reading through, you know, it's, um, it can be uh, habitual, you know, it's just your habit, and it's a good habit to have, but Sometimes when we're reading through it, it's, it's just uh, maybe we're not really kind of seeing into it. Hopefully, maybe what we could see or should see. And because we're not really absorbing it in, in some aspect, then, then we're not necessarily applying it really well. Does that make sense? Um, here's where I'm going with this. We're, we're going to look at a passage today out of the Gospel of Luke. And it's about um, the road to renewal. See, if you've been following God for very long, if you've been a Christian for very long at all, then you've had ups and downs. And there's been times that it just didn't unfold this life. It didn't unfold the way you thought it would be. Maybe it was a season you've passed. Maybe it's a season you're coming into. But as we go along, there's a need to be refreshed. Agreed? There's times you just... You know, you haven't walked away because you're here today. You haven't just said, I'm done with this. Like, sadly, some of it's sad. But you, could, you need to be renewed, you need to be refreshed, reset to some degree. And when you read through the Bible, you realize that's not just you. That's not just contemporary. Every personality in Scripture that we're given any detail or a measurable, reasonable insight, if you would, to their private lives has had this need. Life didn't go the way they had envisioned it, so to speak. Moses, you know, Moses, he's going to do something for the Lord. He ends up fleeing for his life into the wilderness. And I'm sure he's going, didn't see that coming. Each one of them, Abraham, he went out not knowing where he was going to go. And as he went out, it unfolded quite different than probably anybody would have imagined. Jacob slept with his head on a rock. And I could go through every single one. David, David, we're told of David in the Psalms that his couch was drenched with tears. So, so we get that, right? I mean, he wasn't a crybaby. I mean, he, the heaviness of his own actions, um, to a certain measure, the regret of his decisions, his failures, and then also the, the pressures and the, the opposition that was against him. People were literally trying to kill him. And, and I'm sure he's working this out and weighing it through and just going, where are you, God? What's going down? How, why is this unfolding? What is happening here? And so you have to pause long enough to think, why are those stories preserved? Why are they kept? Because it's fascinating to me that God reveals the condition of humanity and the character of God through people, through his word. He could, have, he could have wrote it in the clouds. He could have established it in creation in different ways, and you could just read the billboard and you'd deal with the truth. But instead, he brings these, forth, these things forth through people's lives, and we have to see that life is somewhat like this, is it not? You have these moments where things are really good, and you maybe praise God audibly at that moment. But then that relationship where you've seen improvement takes a turn. And next thing you know, it's way down here. And now you're despondent and discouraged, but then it comes back up. 
And you can kind of find yourself almost riding this almost like a wave. Is that, could we, you see what I'm saying? We're going we're gonna to look at something today that I hope this will be a help in this road to renewal. There were some men, 12 of them, and then as many as, well, there's actually probably realistically several hundred disciples of Jesus Christ during his public ministry. His public ministry, again, they kind of look at a three to four year period where he was introduced. People started learning who Jesus is more than a carpenter's son. They start understanding. And then there was they entered into a season or about a year or so of popularity because he's, he's taken on, not taken on the establishment, but he's establishing a new way of doing life a new way of seeking God. Even his own disciples said, John the Baptist prays, will you teach us to pray? That wasn't because they seen John the Baptist pray better. It's because they understood there's something happening. And Jesus had a relationship with the Father that they didn't understand. Now bear in mind, as we're going to consider the disciples, let me say also, we live in a different age, in a different time, in the sense of you and I, we live, you know, the disciples lived over here, with the cross right here. And the light of God's glory on the other side of the cross. So they're in the shadow of the cross, so to speak. You and I, we, we don't live there. We live on the resurrection side. So we're living on the different, we're, our experience is different because of that reality. Because he's resurrected, he's conquered death and hell. Well, while they're living here, they get to do what you couldn't do. They get to physically, visibly, audibly engage with Jesus in a natural sense. And so as they're engaging with him and growing, and they're, they're following Jesus. But they're noticing after this year of popularity, there's this year of opposition, this time that the establishment, the religious system, the order of this world was opposed to the way Jesus did things. And he was opposed to the way they did things. And this opposition started growing. And you would have known as you walked with him into Jerusalem that the tension was getting tighter. And there was different times they're trying to arrest him or to kill him. And you would have picked up on it. You're like, wow, this is getting a little awkward. But you've left your family, many. You've left your job. You've risked your reputation. You're following this, this man from Nazareth. You don't know he's God in human form yet. You're following him and the tension gets really tough. And then this event happens as he invites some of his guys to pray with him in the garden of Gethsemane. As he leaves the garden, he's betrayed, not only by one of his followers, but by the nation of Israel. And he's arrested. And he's arrested. And there's this mock trial, multiple trials, fraudulent. He's publicly beaten, literally bloodied. There was a public shaming, if you would, is what they were trying to do, to, to mock him. He was crucified, which was horrible. We know it. We, we recognize the power of the cross. But do we know the, the person on the cross in the sense of what he went through as a man? How, how terrible that was. Is the, the literally dried blood across his face from the, the crown of thorns on his head. His side ripped open. His back tore up. Literally nailed to a cross. You've given up your life to follow this guy. You're, you're, you're all in. And now what's happening? He's crucified. And in the middle of a Sunday, middle of the day, he's crucified on, crucified on Friday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It goes all dark. Not a natural phenomenon, an eclipse. Something supernatural telling you of this dark day. 
His body is taken down. It's placed in a tomb. Can you put, I hope I've done an okay job of putting you there. To imagine this, this is how it unfolded. Where were his disciples? A few hundred of them. At least a couple. Twelve even closer ones. They're trying to figure life out now. They're wondering. I'm going to read, we'll read the story in Luke 24. The road to Emmaus. I'd like to read verses 13 to 35. And then we'll pray. And we'll, we'll dig in to this text for this morning. Beginning in Luke 24, verse 13. Now behold, two of them, two of his disciples, Jesus has been crucified. He's been put into the tomb. The report is this Sunday morning that he has risen. But two of them are traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And these two talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that he did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Verse 22. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said but him they did not see then jesus said to them "O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken Ought not, these, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Verse 28. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. Then he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us, while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they arose that very hour, and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Let's pray, God, as we would approach this portion of Scripture, we believe, God, you have preserved it for a purpose. We're thankful to know about these two men and your interaction, but more than just a history record, we know that you have preserved this for our benefit as well. And I would ask God, you would help us to take hold of the truth, the principles, and even put into practice 
what it would be like and how to be living according to your leading. For you are our Lord and our God. And so, Lord, I, I would just ask you to teach us this morning. Walk us through your word. Be glorified in what we receive and how we live till we see you face to face. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so some things I want to catch here because uh, it's important, I think, to finish well. Can we agree? Most people, you know, maybe you started good. But in, in a selective way, if you could pick one or the other, I would rather finish well in this run, this race of life, so to speak, in this journey with Jesus. And so to do that, there is an element of realizing the relationship and recognizing the responsibility. You know, within a relationship, you have responsibilities based on what relation, how the relationship is. So here, we have this story. Let's walk through it. It's an interesting thing because Emmaus means warm baths. It, it basically means hot springs for our culture. So you're tracking with me on this? What's the state of mind with these two guys? A little discouraged. We know that they were saddened at the bare minimum because Jesus acknowledged it and they didn't argue. So... Life has unfolded different for them. Life has become very difficult and very awkward and very weird and not what they thought it would be like. So they actually probably have a pretty good idea. I'm going to the hot springs. Can you relate? Well, why do you go to a hot springs? Does anybody, well, I don't have to ask. You live in Idaho. You've either been or somebody told you that they've been and then you wanted to know where they've been. You go to re- relax, to rest. And your muscles relax, and even though your mind's a little racing, and then pretty quick you just kind of chill. Because they're trying to deal with it. And I'm not saying this is their absolute reason, but it just got to make you wonder why they walk six miles to a place that's known for the hot springs. doesn't matter, but it helps you to see. I think they're learning, they're just kind of trying to figure out how to deal with this. Well, we know as they went, they have an encounter, an experience. Um, I believe they were renewed. We can see that by the result at the end of this passage we read. Let me give you three things, and I'll repeat them through this study, that are keys to renewal. And we'll see it unfold. I believe these keys are true from Old Testament examples, and I believe they're true in this account we're reading here, and I believe they're true in our lives. The first one is return to the Lord, then return to the Word, and return to serving. There's three aspects, three elements of someone who's following Christ, who has experienced this thing called life, and is now going, okay, how do I do this? Let's consider the first part. We're told in verse 17 that as Jesus approached them, he asked, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another and while you walk and are sad? So he's approaching them, and it's interesting that he asked this question, but he, he wasn't in any way cynical or any way um, derogatory, so to speak. He, he wasn't baiting them in to kind of really kind of let them know how smart he was. Because we know their response, their engagement. So he's actually asking something of them. Why would, why would God ask them? He already knows why they're bumped out. Because he's inviting conversation. Jesus, in this moment, is, he's, he's not only introducing them to what we would call intimacy or closeness among two people. He's inviting this conversation and, and, and basically wanting them to kind of open up a little bit. 
I find it very fascinating because we know that's an essential part of a human relationship between two people. Agreed? It is developing trust, transparency, learning if the two, you and the other person, are trustworthy and can be transparent and, and can be more open and build a closer relationship. So he's actually modeling that. And notice in verse 19, you know, they, well, first they say, are, I, excuse me, are you not from around here? Because he's like, well, how did you not know the things that have been happening in Jerusalem? Which is a sidebar, a bonus point. This wasn't just something that happened in a corner of Jerusalem. In a small little region or a little bitty area, if you've been to Jerusalem, you know, it's a pretty sprawling city, and it's pretty tight. I mean, there's just, now, even then, just every space is being used. Over a million people there. And they're saying to him, everybody in Jerusalem knows what's going on. This, this thing wasn't just between a few people and this itinerant teacher from Galilee and Nazareth region. It impacted the whole city. Everybody knew what was going on. Everybody knew what had happened. They're confounded, like, how did you not know? And notice what he says. What things? <laughs> what things? And he, why would he say that? Be real. What would, he, he's, he's purposeful, but not with an agenda. His only agenda is the experience of love and the expression of love. Because that's how he lives. That's how he is. So he's, what things? And the tone of voice invites input. We know that, right? Because they gave input. It wasn't such a tone that when he you know, said it, they're like, oh boy, here comes. It's very fascinating, I think, because he's interested in what you are thinking. God is interested in what you're thinking. He didn't come on, get on their case. You know, these guys, in all probability, we can be honestly very certain they had heard his teaching. They understood the things that he had said. They, they understood what he had told them. I'm going to Jerusalem where I will be crucified and then rise from the dead. On the He said that multiple times to his followers. They knew what was going to happen. But in your own reality, in your own working through emotions and hardship and confusing things, sometimes you forget the obvious. So he says to them, what things? See, I think the important part is asking ourselves, am I thinking but not believing? Because see, you can be thinking but not believing. Let me, let me kind of give you an example. Jesus had went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. While he was up there, a man came to his disciples. And this man came and said, uh, hey, my son has got a serious situation. And his disciples, like, boss is gone. Don't know what to do. They really didn't know what to do. And so the father, we, we know, would be a little like, I, I came here because I heard about this man. Well, then Jesus comes back. And he, he, he joins in on this situation, in this conversation. And the father's like, I, I brought my son to your kids. He, he has these seizure-type things. And he's, like, even thrown into, like, a fire. And he's foaming at the mouth. And I don't know what to do. And your guys didn't know what to do. And Jesus says, hey, if you could believe, all things are possible. 
And the man said something so powerful. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. See, sometimes we believe. We're not walking away like John 6, verse 66. We're not leaving. But we're not actually maybe imparting believing. Does that make sense? So I, and we get to thinking about things, and, and it's like, well, I don't know. I don't know, and, and, and we're not believing. Give room for faith to grow in the midst of your failures and trials. Give room for faith to grow. You can actually, okay, I don't know why and how, but here we are. How's that work? Because, see, sometimes we get to thinking too fast. Here's a couple things I would encourage you by. Identify disappointment. Identify disappointment. I don't, you know, don't trust your own assessment of the situation. That's why I've titled this first top, first point, Return to the Lord. See, when we are first saved and we're learning how to engage and converse under the title of prayer, as we're, we're kind of working all these things out, we, we literally pour our heart out a little more. But then as we go through certain practices and we learn certain promises and we do certain things, we inadvertently become a little religious. And, and we just kind of go through the routine and then we can assess things. And I want to encourage you, go back to where you started. Completely dependent on the Lord. Go back to just that truthful openness. As the Bible tells us, I believe it was in the Proverbs, as the Psalms as well. Search me and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. You see the humility? It's like, God, I, 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 don't even, I can't even identify the issues that have got me upset. I see some of the obvious. That's easy. But I, I don't know how to deal with this. Search me and see if there's any wicked way in me. You see throughout Psalm 119, 176 verses. And throughout, there's this exhortation, this instruction to petition God as a student we would be requesting, teach me, O God. Revive me, O God. Show me, O God. Psalm 25, verse 4. Psalm 25, verse 4. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Do you see what's important in this element of returning to the Lord? It's not a physical relocation. It's a, it's a very deep and internal realization. Lord, I just want more of you and less of me. I want to just return to you and Realize that Jesus invites you to share your opinion and your feeling and your perception. That's okay. He, he invited that here. He wasn't expecting them to give some dissertation on, the, on the, the belief of the nature of God or how the practical realization of God and, and walking with him will change your life in such a way. He's, not, he's just, what, what things you guys, what's heavy on your heart, guys? What are you dealing with? Your feelings are important. Your opinions are good. The perception that you have about life, it's okay. Provided you remember who you are. Because he'll say this to you and me when I kind up with this kind of a poor me syndrome, you know, PMS kind of thing. Man, it always happened to me. Why is it always me? How is it always, oh, poor me. He's like, Okay. But who do you say that I am? But who do you say that I am? See, their assessment and their explanation of what disappointed them would be accurate, agreed? We thought that this was going to unfold this way. We, we anticipated it being more like this. 
I felt that you were going to do this, and I, I perceived that you're going to get rid of the Romans, and, and we would return to this monarchy where you would establish a king like David, or maybe like Solomon, and there would be this experience for us here. I thought that's how it was going to go. But always remember the relationship. But who do you say that I am? You know, in our reasoning and what we're thinking about. The second point in this area, avoid critical conversations and conclusions. Jesus asked them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? What kind of conversation is this? I think we can see, and I think there is a reasonable consideration, a possible parallel. They're physically leaving Jerusalem. Perhaps they're going to just relax. I got to take a break. I got to get away. But I wonder if they're spiritually walking away from the Lord as well. Because they're trying to figure it out. They're not completely off course. But it's very possible there's a distraction. Something that they concluded. Because they're not with the others who they'll gladly race back to. They're not with them. They decided, yeah, it's not. I'm just going to go do this. See, it's all right to acknowledge the truth. It's really important. But to look to God for the answers. It's easy to find somebody to be critical with you. Agreed? Christians are really good at that. We can find someone to whine to, and they'll whine back. And we'll whine and dine each other and come up with really silly conclusions. And most of us have been there. Where afterwards you look back and go, oh, that didn't work. That wasn't healthy. In the moment, you're kind of patting each other on the back and everything. Okay, yeah, 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 well, yeah, yeah, idiots, morons. And then you walk away. Oh, that wasn't true. There's a conviction, which is good. Agreed? It's good to have that conviction. Good to have that realization. It's learning to actually look to God for the answers instead of relying on our own critical conversations and, and, and erroneous or misguided, if you would, conclusions. Jesus took a different approach. Jesus took the approach to build people up. He came to his own, and his own would not receive him. They crucified him. But he still came to them. They didn't turn on him like they were going to be good, and then they went traitor. They were traitors to begin with. He came to his own, and his own did not receive His goal expressed his love. The goal was to fulfill the Father's will. His intent, his purpose, was to rescue humanity from their sin, to provide forgiveness and new life. And to do that, he, he, he literally chose the high road, the harder way of doing it. It's a tougher road and requires conscious effort to follow. Well, you're not going to be the Savior. He's already did that part. That job, job's filled. Don't get your hopes up. But... He did say to you and me, as I have done, so you should do likewise. In regards to serving, in regards to loving, in regards to interacting with people. And so if you're going to build people up, you must be willing to see from God's perspective. Agreed? And in some of these conversations we can easily get into, and you know, don't get me wrong, I value trusted friendship and an opportunity to vent, but we always want to make sure let's just not go too far with this. Let's realize we don't have all the answers when we're uh, critically concluding or con conversation is a little more jaded. Always remember, you do not know what you do not know. 
There's just some things about that person's life. There's some things about that situation that you're lacking information. You just don't know. And I think we've been there. Most, I believe every one of us. Where we've come to conclusions and we've made internal assessments, even in our own mental conversation, and we've decided, well, this is, how it's, this is what it is. And then we get more information. And we're glad we didn't speak out what we were thinking out. Agreed? Where he's like, oh, now that I know more, man, I feel, I'm embarrassed inside because of what I decided, when in reality, I just didn't know. It's much better to choose to build people up, to, to see from God's perspective. And I believe James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, is a good reference point and a good practical application. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So catch this. Be swift to hear and slow to speak. You got two ears and one mouth. Do the math. Listen twice as much as you're talking functionally. You see what I'm saying? It's like there's a point where you, you just learn to listen. It's like, hmm. Be swift to hear, slow to speak. Jesus could have found plenty of fault with people. Agreed? His own disciples, the ones that he picked, they're following him. Moments, just a few days before the crucifixion, are arguing about which one's going to be the greatest when they come into the kingdom. A couple of them commissioned mom to go talk to Jesus to see if we can get the best spot in the kingdom because we'll be, you know, numbers one and, or two and three. They, he could have like, oh, are you, I am, I'm done with you. But no. You see throughout God's, what we have revealed about God from Genesis to Revelation, we see the patience of God, the persistence of God. He chooses to lift people up. The, the Bible tells us it's this. He takes us from the miry clay and lifts us upon the rock, places us upon the rock. Let me give you a, an Owyhee County, even Elmore County picture of what that looks like. Some of you will get it, others you, you hopefully won't have to experience it, but there's this thing out in the desert, you'll come across them, always, frequently even on ranch land. It's just this hole, this pond. It's a livestock pond. It's either naturally filling or flowing, or it's been made so that it'll naturally fill, so that in the middle of the summer, specifically cattle have a place to go. Now, if you've ever been to one of those in about like midsummer when it's been warm for a while, and the cattle have been there, and you walk up on it, and, and they don't care whether they bathe, eat, and the rest of the bodily functions in the same spot or not. They just, they're just cows. When you walk up on that, you don't go, oh, I'm so glad I'm taking a swim. <laughs> you don't. You walk up there, and you're like, oh, man. And you, you kind of stay back. And, and Jesus immersed himself. He walked into that mess where you and I are, and he rescued us from the miry clay and set us upon the rock. I don't think we realize the depth of our depravity. We don't realize the magnitude of what he's done in, in removing us, bringing new life to us, taking us from this miry clay and setting us on the sure foundation. But when we do, when we start getting that more and more, we're more concerned about his wisdom than our opinion. We're more concerned about what he has to say than what we are thinking. 
So for application, I would ask you to consider or in caution, I'll use it as a caution, I use it myself. I've literally asked myself this. What kind of conversation are you having? Not, not with another person. Sometimes the worst conversation is with yourself, agreed? So what kind of conversation are you having? It's like, hmm, because that's what God would ask you. Dan, Dan, what kind of conversation are you having? I'm having my own conversation. Don't bother me. Or it's like, yeah, hmm, kind of break that off. So return to the Lord. Return to the word. We see in verse 32 of our, of our text in uh, Luke 24. In verse 32, these two men concluded about this holy heartburn. Did we, we, we talked with one another on the road while he opened the scriptures to us. As I've said, they've already heard the word. You know, they, they were there possibly on the Sermon on the Mount. They were there when he taught the multitudes, probably. They've heard him teach. But in their situation, in their circumstances, in the hardship that they're right in the middle of, it's almost like they just couldn't see the, what's happening. And so he takes them back to the word. And they're even acknowledging he opened the scriptures to us. We see that as we read through the text and, and how he began and the, with, uh, with Moses and the prophets and, and walked them through. Return to the Lord, return to the word. He must be Lord for you to be enriched from the word. You, you, he, he doesn't have to be Lord for you to come to the word because you weren't born again when the word was brought to you. You received the word and were born again, born of the spirit. But to really experience and to really be enriched and nourished by the word, he must be Lord. We can't in one voice say, no, not, not so, Lord, I won't, but I want. I won't do this, and I won't discipline myself, and I won't live this way, but I want your blessing. I mean, you can say it, it's probably ain't going to work out real good, because you understand the relational collision and problem. Let's look in verse 19, look at what they knew. This is what they knew already, this is why it's important they return to the, to the word. The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, so Jesus... Is you know um, God is salvation. Emmanuel, we also know, was another name for him. God with us. God is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. So this is the one they know. This is who he was. You could say, well, they're just saying Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth as a separating him from other names or other Jesus at that time as a popular uh, name. I, I disagree only because they've been following him for so long. And they've seen the miracle. They've seen the power as they go on to say themselves. Do they not say, look, he was, he was a prophet. Capital P, speaking of a prophet from scriptures. He's one that was spoken of, and now he's one speaking the word. So they knew he wasn't just another Jewish teacher or somebody that's counterculture presenting new concepts or new approach to the word. So he's a, they knew this from the word. They knew he was a prophet. They knew he was mighty in deed and word before God and before man. So not only did they know that he was one sent by God, they also understood he lived according to what he was presenting. He lived that way because he was mighty. I mean, it sounds pretty cool to us, but walking on the water is a pretty big deal. Agreed? It wasn't like some super slippers that had some flotation device or something. I and mean, this is legitimate, walking in a storm on the water, feeding the 5,000. 
calming the storm. Can you, you're in the boat. It's tossed, literally as we would say, tempest-tossed. You're, you're about, it's, it's not good. You're going down. And you wake him up. You're shocked that he's sleeping at the front of the boat. You wake him up. And he says, oh, yeah, okay. And then maybe he sits down and goes back to sleep. Now you're dead calm. And you're like, what was that? How does, and you would, they even said, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Who is this? This is the one they knew. And he's bringing them back and returning them to the word. They also say in verse 20, he was betrayed and crucified. They use different words, but the chief priests and rulers delivered him to death and crucified him. We thought he was going to be this. We knew he was this, but we thought he'd be this. But it's done. He's dead. It's over. The problem with their conclusion is they're not receiving the truth, which they'll later declare in the story, remember? They went back and said, it's legit. He, the women were right. Peter, Simon, it's true what he said. Return to the Lord. Return to the word. Because as they realized this, he was crucified. Life had changed. The recent events the hurt and confusion have led to disappointment and discouragement. The recent events, the hurt and confusion have led to disappointment and discouragement. Does anybody understand that? Can we all agree that there's just there are seasons and times when logic will not resolve the hurt? It's just hard. It's hard to figure out. These people were there. These two men were there. Maybe you can relate, but Jesus brought them back to the word. It wasn't a stern rebuke of any form. He invited in, in conversation, and they were open and transparent, and he continues then to lead them. We notice also in the next portion of our outline or consideration, the return to serving. It says in verse 33, they rose up that very hour. And returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. They were awakened to a greater purpose. They went from sad, at least, discouraged, to excited and purposeful. It's six miles, all right? If it was level, three mile an hour would be a pretty easy pace. So it's still two hours. It wasn't level. So you're looking at maybe... Maybe even three hours, two and a half to three hours of walking. You're going to this place. You have you meet up with another guy headed that direction, who then turns out to be Jesus. He teaches you truth and speaks to you, and you conclude, let's go back and tell the others. Let's go right now. There's no indication that they said, you know, we're already here. A little hot tub will be good, because I know, I'm positive they didn't sit in the hot tub first. You know why? Because you walk three mi- six miles, later in the evening, you enjoy that relaxation, the therapy, you're going back in the morning, if you still go back. You see, this is why I think as you see this and consider the, the probability that they chose, right? it was important to them. We have got to go share the truth that we know. Well, how did he rise from the dead? How did, I don't know. All I know 
is he appeared to us, he spoke truth to us, and what the women said about him right being res- resurrected is true. Well, how do you know it's true? I don't know how to tell you this. It just, he spoke to me. You see their experience? They're just conveying, they don't have to have all the answers. They just got to be able to share what they know to be true. They returned to Jerusalem to encourage others, to serve them, to share what they knew to be true. If you could embrace, if we would all receive, this is a calling in our lives. Just share what you know to be true. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Well, how'd that happen? I don't know. All I know is I come to the understanding of the, 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 the truth of Jesus, who is the Christ. I, I, I put my faith in him, I guess. I, I asked to be born again. I asked to be forgiven. All I know is I'm a different person from the inside out. I, I can't explain the in-depth in doctrine, and I can't break down the study of God, my theology. I can only tell you what I know to be true, because this is what the Word of God has told me. And, and that's our calling. That, that's a simplicity. See, serving is about knowing Jesus and then sharing what you know. That's really what it is. It involves recognizing needs and then being a participant in meeting those needs. Recognizing needs, because you're born again, born of the Spirit. He loves people. So the needs are there. Okay, Lord, how, how, empower me, enable me to do this. They're going to return to serving. And the interesting thing is, in verse 35, we see they were blessed. They recognized, they knew it was Jesus. And so they went back and just shared what they knew to be true. Serving is an encouragement because obedience has benefits. Agreed? Let me ask you. I asked for a service and hmm, a pretty good response. How many of you, at some point in your life, with your parents or some other authority, but primarily your parents, were at least once disobedient? <laughs> Raise your hand. Oh, wow, three-fourths. About one-fourth of you are sitting stubborn in church and lying. <laughs> Interesting. Maybe we should start over today. <laughs> you understand disobedience. It has consequences. There is corrective measures imparted when you're disobedient if you're a good parent. So much more obedience has its blessings. When we're obedient to the Lord, we don't know how it's going to work out. We honestly don't know for sure how to do it sometimes. But they went back and just shared what they knew to be true. Maybe one of them, Thomas, was doubting what they said, possibly. Well, while you were there, did you get in that hot tub in the back? No, we skipped. I forgot all about that. You know what I'm saying? There's a part where you're like, man, this, this obedience, it has its benefits, Because when we say he's Lord, it's his title, it's his authority over us. And if he's Lord, it means he gets to lead. It means he gets to teach us. It means we want to learn from him. So I'm going to have the the worship team come back up. We're going to take communion today. And something to ponder and wonder, I don't believe it's uh, presented as a a doctrine or a referential point to, to a doctrine. But I am interested, fascinated even if you would, that they identified that when he broke bread and gave it to him, then their eyes were opened. 
It's an interesting thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that that's the same as them taking communion with him. But I do believe there's a, a, a personal memory, an association. See, communion's a fascinating thing. It's a very basic thing in the um, initial practice, if you would. What is it? It's consuming liquid and eating bread. So it's not, it's not some new, like, uh, practice. You know what I'm saying? You, you, they, were, they were eating and everything. What, what did he do? Jesus imparted communion. He took bread and he said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We call that communion or taking the Lord's Supper. Well, it's fascinating to me because these guys would have experienced it. I think they would have understood what was taught about communion. We're not told that they were there in the upper room, but I believe they were aware of the practice that was instituted and initiated there in the upper room, or at the uh, communion. All that to say, communion is for the follower of Jesus Christ. Communion is not just a religious practice or something that's put into motion as a method to convey religious interest. It is a result of a relationship. Jesus said... As often as you do this, do it what? In remembrance of me, because of the relationship you have. So if you would stand with me, we're going to, uh, we're going to join together in a song of worship. And as a Christian, I encourage you to, to take communion today. Remembering what he's done for you. Remembering how he has carried you through. How he has been faithful to you. Remembering how he's teaching you. Remembering what he has done for you taking you out of the cesspool of life and placing you upon the sure foundation of, of heaven. What he's done for you. If you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, then don't feel obligated or somehow pressured to, to participate. What you may consider is why you're not yet a follower of Christ. What is so bad about him that you would not put your faith in him? I understand why you wouldn't put faith in another Christian. They're flakes. But putting faith in Christ is something completely different. Putting your faith in the one who died for you, who, who, who calls you, invites you to closeness. So I'm going to pray with all of us. I'm going to pray what many of us have prayed in regards to um, just receiving that gift of forgiveness. Then we'll go into a song of worship together. And during that song of worship... If you are a born-again Christian, then it's a time you can step up and pick up the communion elements. When you do that, you know, there's just one cup there. There's a, a piece of bread underneath the, the cup of the juice. Just return to your seat. I'll step back up, and we'll, we'll take those together. So let's pray. God, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your presence. And I would ask, God, that you would just speak to all of us about the certainty and the need for forgiveness. Many of us have experienced that, God, and we're so thankful. But for anyone here who has not experienced your forgiveness, to you, I would ask, whoever's here and are hearing this, what are you waiting for? Jesus is gentle and kind, perfect in all of his ways. He invites you to receive from him the gift of life. He only asks of you that you would agree with him that you need forgiveness. You acknowledge that you have done wrong and, and sinned against your creator, the living God. 
And in acknowledging that, agreeing with God, you would then turn to Him, turning from what you've known in the past and putting your hope and confidence in Him and letting Him teach you what this new life is. Just receive, agree, receive, believing that He is God, that Jesus is the only way by which you can receive forgiveness. Oh, Lord, thank you that you've extended that to all of us. May we remember what you've done for us as we sing the song of worship and prepare our hearts and minds to take communion. Amen.